Welcome to the very first episode of our brand new podcast called Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education. My name is Risto Martinen. I work in physical education pedagogy at George Mason University, just outside Washington, D.C. I am very happy to launch our first podcast with our team, many of whom relocated to new universities this summer, as did I. So our podcast team includes Dr. Kevin Andrew Richards from University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, Dr. Aaron Santeo from the University of Hawaii, Dylan Landy from Towson University, and Dr. Sarah Flory from the University of South Florida. You'll hear all these great hosts in our podcasts with a wide range of scholars in our field. Uh, we will produce a variety of content with the aim to make research accessible and understandable to current health and physical educators, as well as university students all across the globe. Uh, today's episode is a treat. Uh, Dylan and Sarah met up with Dr. Vicki Goodyear from the University of Birmingham in the UK last month at the ASAP conference in Scotland and talked to her about her article co-authored with Dr. Charlotte Kerner and Dr. Mikhail Quinterstead. Uh, their article, Young People's Uses of Wearable Healthy Lifestyle Technologies, Surveillance, Self-Surveillance, and Resistance, appears in Sport Education and Society and was published in 2017. Uh, it's a very interesting take on the use of technology in PE, and it's a great listen. So let's get right into it. Here's Sarah and Dylan with Vicki Goodyear. I'm Ruth Goodyear from the University of Birmingham. Um, I'm a previous PE teacher. Um, I now do research uh, with young people on their uses of digital technologies. Um, I also have a background in pedagogical models such as cooperative learning, sport education, teaching games for understanding, and teacher professional learning. Excellent answer, excellent answer. Um, so quickly, we're going to talk to you today about an article that was published in 2017 uh, in Sport Education and Society. And that article is Young People's Uses of Wearable Healthy Lifestyle Technologies, Surveillance, Self-Surveillance, and Resistance. Um, can you give us a little, just a little introduction of sort of how that came about? Yeah, so um, Charlotte Kerner and I, um, we were interested in technology. So Charlotte is a uh, focused on more the quantitative side of physical education practice, so psychology, self-determination theory. Um, and I was coming from a more pedagogy angle, and we were interested in Fitbits for personal reasons. Um, and then we realised that uh, in the Huffing Post in 2014, Fitbits were in the top 10 Christmas presents. Oh, my God. So um, we then looked into this and realised that there was actually no evidence on young people's uses of Fitbits or any other wearable devices such as the Nike Fuel Band or the um, Strava or things like that. So um, we looked back at the history of similar things such as pedometers um, and how they're used and there's a lots of things saying that perhaps young people don't use them right in research studies, they perhaps put them on the dogs and, and then the measurements are taken from those kind of processes. So we don't really in know about how young people will use it, but they're being marketed as the top 10 Christmas presents. Um, and then you can see some of the adverts that they were targeted at children. Then there's also other things, what was different. So you have the Fitbits and, and the different bands for adults being targeted at teenagers, but then there's um, things being targeted at young people. 
So there was the Leap brand. So the Leap brand is a watch um, and you have a frog on it. So it's like a Tamagotchi. Um, but if you don't keep your steps up, your frog dies. So uh, <laughs> that's a little start. So that has different implications for how we teach some people, young people about physical activity. So there was lots of things going on about in terms of the Fitbits. A, we didn't know if young people, these are going to be in the top 10 Christmas presents, but are they going to be disappearing 10 minutes later and not being used? There's implications for young people's health if they're learning about to regulate a physical activity because they don't want their pet to, to dine or their digital pet. Um, but there's also information around normative ideals of health. So 10,000 steps is healthy. Well, who says that's healthy? Yeah. And, um, you know, some young people might be exceeding really well 10,000 steps a day, whereas others, 6,000 is good for them to get. Yeah. So we were interested in, okay, so what happens? So the idea is, is what happens if we give a kid a Fitbit? That's really interesting. Um, uh, an article or maybe a chapter by Darren Powell just came out and it was saying how um, based on the amount of steps somebody takes, they send money to Africa. And like they tell the kids, if you don't step enough, like people are not going to get fed. Like, you, like is, the, the UNES, is it World Health Organization or UNESCO? One of the, yeah. yeah. Well, no. The world location. So tell us about how you went about uh, researching this. Like what was the methods that you used to kind of say, oh, wow. This is an issue um, and it hasn't been explored. So how are we going to explore it? So I took kind of my background in pedagogy and working with young people and through a participatory actual research approach. So that means in short, I'm kind of listening and responding to young people, but through a structured focus of um, if reflect, plan and act. So we would typically have the young people have a discussion, had very open and, and go with the research that way. So that was the angle that I was coming from. Charlotte, being a psychologist, felt that we needed to measure something. <laughs> and, and she's a mixed method. So she was she wanted to understand, okay, so how can we align um, what perhaps young people would say in interviews and focus groups with a self-determination framework? So we were looking at um, framing both the class activities of the interviews and the questionnaires around the three concepts of autonomy, relatedness and competence. Yep. So that was kind of our theoretical initial framing around how we would investigate it. So the methods of what we actually did in practice was that we gave um, 100 young people a Fitbit to wear for eight weeks. So the eight weeks was chosen because apparently six weeks is a drop off. Similar to the January gym effect, we remember everyone goes, uh, Easter Christmas goes to the gym, six weeks later they don't go. So that's the, the, the measure that we try to take. I may have done that once or twice. <laughs> I think we all have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was, the, that was what they did. So they did that for eight weeks. Um, and we went in and first of all, and kind of talked to the young people about what they think is healthy, what's not healthy, and got them to start really thinking about health for themselves. Um, they were, did pre-questionnaires about self-determination theory, their current physical activity levels. And then at the end of the eight weeks, we interviewed them, their teachers, and did the questionnaires. Um, and the reason we used, we used a nominal group technique, adapted version of it, adapted from Anne McPhail, um, because we wanted them to kind of respond to some statements and create their own statements at the same time about how they used technology and what they thought. That's really, that was, I was reading about that and was really interested in, in will probably study up to use that in my own research very soon. 
Tell me how you decided, like how you, there was 100 students in this study? Yep. Um, and from two different schools? Yep. How did you choose your schools and, and did you just sort of hope that some of the kids would want to participate? What was the selection process like? Um, we wanted a, hundred, um, wanted a representative sample. So the first point was how many do we need to be able to um, give like significant differences in the questionnaires. So we felt that 100 was significant. Um, our main aim was not necessarily to test differences between gender, socioeconomic status, but we needed to ensure the sample would be representative. So we went for two schools and I think it was four classes. And um, in that way, we could observe differences. And for example, if they needed to follow up, we might say, right, okay, so we need a, a balance, more balanced sample on gender or we need to explore socioeconomic differences. So it was more of a feasibility kind of process, but having a representative sample. Yeah. Um, so that's how we, we kind of selected it. Um, we selected it in two different areas. And so one was in Bedford and part of it was due to where I was located. I was located in Bedford. Charlotte was located in Liverpool. Yeah. Um, so uh, we used schools that we could trust um, and teachers that we could trust. Yeah. Um, because part of it was we were we were giving each child a hundred pound Fitbit sure. for eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what were the main results of the paper that you think were significant? Uh, so the main results of the paper, um, what I think is that around technology there are narratives of risk. So you can you can type in if you typed in uh, technology in young people, the probably the first thing's gonna come up is it's harmful for their mental health or harmful for anything. So what we were actually surprised by was the balance in positive and negative kind of, not effects, but influences, opinions. So the positive side um, was that young people were quite um, critical of the, of the Fitbits and the data. So they were able to question whether 10,000 steps is healthy. Um, they were able to uh, navigate, you know, so if, if the Fitbit, there wasn't meeting 10,000 steps, they said they felt fat because it made them feel that they're guilty for not doing exercise. So they soon meant that, well, why should I feel those negative feelings? I'm just not going to wear it. So they stopped wearing it. They were also able to work out that you can cheat using the, the, um, the Fitbit. So you can shake it and get your steps up. <laughs> um, some of them found competitions motivating. So they found that they, if they were having competitions with friends, it would be motivating for them to increase their levels of physical activity. Yeah. They were also quite able to judge about what would be the role of Fitbits or wearable devices in their lives. So they felt that there was a place for Fitbits in physical education, but that teachers shouldn't use them to monitor their physical activity levels. They were worried they wouldn't get they would get detention for ten, for not getting ten thousand steps a day, or they were worried about um, uh, their teacher monitoring it and the, and the comp whole class competitions. And we go, we know from other literature from decades that a lot of young people like competitions and that can be a negative impact. So these were quite strong messages coming through with the Fitbit data. So what we would summarize from that is that young people are critical consumers of digital technologies. So they're not just um, blank canvases where adults can assume that because it's the latest Gizmo and gadget for Christmas that it's gonna impact on their physical activity levels. For some it does, for others, they, they're able to understand themselves and their own bodies. So then we get to the kind of more negative impact. And the negative impact is perhaps that not all young people can understand themselves and their, their bodies. So um, 
some would feel um, fat, uh, feel that they had to regulate themselves towards these discourses of healthism and what's healthy, typically a slim, ideal, uh, slim feminine body. That would be the, the typical way we would describe it. But um, yeah, so that, that was the kind of negative consequence. And some think young people in the competitions, if they weren't meeting the step count, and somebody was winning or winning or winning, they'd, they'd just remove themselves from the competition. So, and then they would lack in confidence to engage in other competitions and need to do it. So that was kind of the background of it, is that you can actually make young people feel very negative about themselves and their bodies. And we have to question what types of health-related learning do they actually create? So they're creating negative, perhaps, health messages. So that's, the, I'd say, two opposing findings. So I feel like the opposite side would be something to the effect that, well, you shouldn't compete them against each other, but you should try to create a goal for themselves, right? That that would be like the opposite. Or the, and I see the positives and the, and the potential pitfalls of that. Um, did you find anybody doing that sort of uh, uh, activity within the program? I think, um, no, I think what's happened at the minute, and this was in our, in our book a couple of years ago, is that we're not actually... Many teachers of physical education are really, really enthusiastic about technology. It's great, and there's loads of enthusiasm. I don't. I'm not sure that the pedagogy is caught up yet. Um, I don't think we really understand how we can use technology in these spaces. We can use apps for performance analysis. That you know, that's come along from a, perhaps 10, 10 years where we all had the cameras out and um, casting them down the sports field. But um, <laughs> now we're at a stage where we've got the apps and things and we can we can do that. So I think we're, we're okay in that area. We're okay in performance analysis of skills, but there's all these different health discourses and all these things going on. And I'm not sure we're, we really understand how we can use that and how we can challenge that. What we do know is that there is a past literature on the use of magazines. So Kim Oliver's work and um, activist approaches is really influential in that space and as well as Laura Azarita's. So I think now the, the, the challenge is to, to build on that critical pedagogical approaches and begin to connect how we can use them. And I think in this paper, we start to look at the concept of health wearability. So how can you be confident in wearing a Fitbit or whatever on your arm and using it to know when you should do different things? Um, you know, I think we need to be helping our people to do that. You know, these different things are gonna come up. We've got Alexa's. You know, rather than ask your teacher, you could ask Alexa. So we've got to start to uh, to deal with these different things and different challenges. I think it's a great point that maybe the technology, the pedagogy hasn't caught up with the technology yet and that we have to really sort of tread lightly until we 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 know what can happen. So that's, the, yeah. the same thing happened with fitness testing. Oh, so yeah. Like Shelf and Keating, Steve Silverman said the same thing about that like 10 years ago. Yeah, Exactly. Um, so future directions, I mean, it sounds like you've done a few more things, uh, since this study or in, in this project, um, uh, you know, what else, what else is, what's, what's happened since, or what, you know, having built off of it, was there other, uh, were there other papers or chapters that came from this particular project? Uh, yep. So, um, we, uh, published another paper and that was on the stats from Charlotte's life, which I won't talk about. I, just <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> The numbers, they frighten me. So, yes, that's what I'm going to say. So that was enough. And um, we've since um, done some other projects uh, around social media and health-based apps. Um, using similar methods of the participatory aspect of working with young people and getting them to uh, guide us. So the core idea is that young people are experts in those spaces. 
and anyone that uses an app for themselves is an expert in that space. So that's how we treat it. The challenge for us is in now working out how we can't keep chasing the new technology. So I can't do another study that's on Alexa. <laughs> we can't keep chasing the technology. We've now got to understand the principles behind the technology that stays the same. So our key idea is and how different things are similar across social media apps and wearables. So we've got to begin to, if we're going to get to this pedagogy and this digital, we've got to begin to connect the dots. Yeah. So in our social media paper um, that's in Sport Ed Society that follows on from that, we're looking at the idea of um, content and looking at pedagogy. So initially in pedagogy, we always start from the learners, but in digital platforms, perhaps we need to start with the content because A, content migrates across different platforms. Like a, a content could be the same on social, on their Snapchat, Instagram, but that can also, content can also be connected to your Fitbit and it can also be connected to your app. So we need to look at how these spaces and how these spaces connect and, and then how young people can use different types of behaviours in those spaces, but also in to make it even more complicated and going back to your initial question about why did you choose the, the schools, how does context and young people's lives and how does what they learn in physical education impact on how they use technology and how does what they learn from technology impact on how they experience PE? So... I think we're a long way. I mean, there's, there's lots to re lots to research and lots to find out and lots of questions. But that's, that's good. That's job exciting. That's job security. So if you were to um, uh, get impart one last message to uh, either future physical educators or maybe future uh, people who are interested in research and technology, research and technology, because I think that the good part about this is that you see technology as a positive thing. I've seen you use it all the time. So you're not somebody who's saying. I hate technology, it's bad. You're somebody who's an enthusiast and you're seeing the benefits and that, that you know, the pitfalls. So what's that one message that you would impart onto the future? Uh, I think young people are critically aware users and generators of digital technology, but technology is a very powerful medium. So if they're vulnerable for whatever reason, and that doesn't need to be a diagnosable vulnerability, it can mean um, an experience of body dissatisfaction that occurs uh, for 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, um, so social media apps and wearable devices are extremely powerful mediums when they can mobilize and circulate content and that can make young people vulnerable. Excellent. Excellent. I, I, I thought I just didn't. Yeah. Should I go? And we were, you were saying, Pia. Vicky, thanks for coming. Uh, 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 we hope that you have an excellent conference and we're looking forward to seeing more. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. And nice. <laughs> Artist, good job. Thanks for listening. Next week's podcast is with Dr. Ash Casey from Loughborough University on his models-based practice paper, which Routledge has made open access for the month of September. So get to it if you'd like. I uh, would love to grow this podcast, so please recommend this to others if you find this useful. And if you have an article that you found interesting that you want us to highlight, email any one of us or send us a message on Twitter. That's all we have for on this one, and we'll see you next week.